Welcome to another episode of Health Creators. This is Liv, and I'm joined here today with Sebastian, founder and CEO of High Health. And today we're going to be talking about what McKinsey taught me about being a CEO. <laughs> Hi, Liv. Thanks for having me here. Um, so let's get started. So um, the topic is around um, your journey becoming a CEO, and we did... Mm -hmm. We did um, kind of anchor it around um, having been at McKinsey, and I always think it's very interesting um, when I see someone come from um, a big company like McKinsey and then decide to build a startup. And so I really wanted to dive in and understand, um, you know, what your top learnings were. Um, is it a useful thing to have done, do you think? I think it's definitely a useful thing, and I don't... Uh, I advise everyone who wants to uh, learn and, and see the world after studying to consider going to one of the large consultancies. So for me, it was a great experience. I, I really liked it. I learned a lot in, in various topics. And so it was a very useful journey for me. Um, and yeah, just... Um, recommended to everyone after studying but i think it's then you also need to make a conscious decision at some point in time um, if you want to stay in consulting or if you want to move out of consulting because it's like a, a very special industry in itself of course what do consultants actually do <laughs> <laughs> it's so most of the time you you are on like three to mm -hmm. i would say six months projects yeah and there are large corporations and they have a, they struggle with a certain topic and most of the time it's it's very strategic topics that the uh, executive team uh, needs to have resolved in a short period of time and oftentimes those companies don't have the internal resources to to work on those topics so they bring in consultants because this is like two benefits on the one hand mm -hmm. side um, it's additional uh, an additional team that can work dedicated on a topic yeah and they are very experienced because um, with the, also within McKinsey you tend to specialize in a certain area yeah so you really know the topic very well and and this is what you then bring to the to those large corporations I see so you almost were like solving um, problems for bigger companies and then you decided to then go into building a startup. So um, how have you found that journey of transitioning from being in such a large organization to building one that I guess when you first started was like maybe you and your co-founder? Yes, it, it is a tough, or for me, it was a tough transition because um, at McKinsey, you have mm -hmm. all these additional benefits. You, yeah. uh, everything is taken care of. Uh, and it's very mm -hmm. simple things like the I IT equipment, uh, travel booking, all of that. You don't mm -hmm. need to, to care about all these things. Yeah. And you can basically reach out to anyone within um, McKinsey and discuss mm -hmm. certain topics. Um, they act as sparing partners. And this you lose from one day to the other. Um, so, so that was something I, I missed. So what I did uh, very, 
very soon after I left, I built my like an advisory team of my own, uh, mm. I could say. So I reached out to certain people um, and used them for, for discussions and for sparing and just for uh, evolving uh, our business model as well. And of course, I mean, Frederick, my co-founder, was, was a very um, essential part of, of that team as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was the... I think that was the, the one of the key um, key steps for me in the transition. And um, what what sort of things do you think you've taken from your experience at McKinsey and brought to high health? Um, because I guess a lot of maybe more technical founders would build a company that's probably quite operationally different to maybe what you've built because of your experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so the one thing that I learned at McKinsey and which has been super helpful ever mm -hmm. since is to structure problems um, yeah. in a way and, and really understand certain problems and go to the bottom of it. So McKinsey has a very structured approach on, on yeah. how you problem solve, basically. Mm. And, and this is very helpful because there are like also frameworks which are like uh, me see you, you always try mm -hmm. to be mutually exclusive exclusive and and uh, collectively exhaustive as they call it um, which helps you to get really uh, a full understanding of, mm -hmm. a, of a topic and a problem mm -hmm. um, and then you can use it to create a solution and this is what we do at high health uh, on a very regular basis yeah. uh, which is also ingrained um, and and I think that's one of the very important uh, learnings. What what were things that you didn't learn from McKinsey where you felt like okay I'm I'm in the deep end. Also a lot because <laughs> McKinsey is I mean yeah uh, you, you're very specialized in mm -hmm. in a certain area almost. Yeah. But then becoming a CEO and founder of a mm. of a startup, you have so many topics and yeah. you need to be uh, to cover so many elements of the business. Being it mm -hmm. like HR, finance, uh, and so forth, and all the business development, and and yeah, so there's a lot actually, and you need to be able to switch within seconds because uh, in in the one uh, yeah. minute you have a call on on an HR topic, you uh, maybe have a difficult conversation with someone in the team, uh, and in the next yeah. second you have a a, a biz dev uh, a sales call with with a prospect and you need to to engage them and and basically convince them to buy your product so this is one thing that you don't learn at McKinsey and that you need to learn over time I think what was it also interesting um, essentially transitioning from being cog in a wheel to being wheel <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean yeah yes yes this is and this also took me some time yeah. to get uh, used to to this new setup and and way of operating for myself as well. As in way of operating because you just have so much more responsibility. So um, does it does it feel like very different to when you have a job and you're just like okay I'm done for today? You know. There is a difference. Um, because yeah. it, uh, so so, 
in a job, you, I mean, you work, m most of the people work hard mm -hmm. and, and work long hours. And, yeah. uh, but then in the end, if you are mm -hmm. uh, done, you can go home or on the weekends, you don't need to, to check emails yeah. or do calls every now and then. Now as a, as a founder um, and, and CEO, mm. um, it's, yeah, I, I, I do my emails on a regular basis on the weekend as well, but also I don't see this as work. Somehow it's also like my, my hobby and I think yeah. that the passion that comes in there uh, also helps to not see it as, as work and, and basically I get energy from, uh, mm. from doing things and working at high. What, what was the moment that made you transition from, you know, this cushy job to, to, okay, let's start from the bottom and build a startup, build high health from like the ground up. It was my, my co-founder and, and I, uh, we know each other for a very long time. So since mm -hmm. university, we knew each other and we were always, um, thinking around we observed that the the insurance industry and, and or the health insurance industry mm. has some flaws and we were like for for years we were struggling basically yeah. to better understand okay how could we what's the real problem there how mm. can we how can we solve that um and at a certain point we just decided okay uh let's take some jump into the cold water. Uh, I left McKinsey. Uh, I've purely focused on, on that topic because we had the, uh, the conviction mm -hmm. uh, that what we do can really uh, solve a, a big problem in, in society. And, and I fundamentally believe that, that uh, private health insurance will be more important mm -hmm. in the future. And we really need to address some of the issues within that industry um, so that the industry in itself can can become uh, more efficient and more user-friendly uh, so that in the end more people can afford and have access to healthcare. Can you give us your elevator pitch? <laughs> so we are we are on a mission to to improve access to healthcare and we're yeah. doing this by implementing modern payment solutions into mm -hmm. the claims process. Yeah. Uh, and we do this, for example, also by, by producing white label payment cards to, uh, for insurance companies so that they can yeah. distribute those cards to their members and the members can use uh, the cards to pay at any pharmacy or, or doctor office okay. and they don't need to go out of pocket. I just understand what you what you do just from that just now because I was a bit confused but now I get it because it's like every time I go to a private doctor now under insurance I pay for it and then I need to claim it back Correct. and it's a big nightmare um, because a lot of the times you can't claim it back but how do you deal with that right what if a patient wants something um, and they actually cannot claim it back and they actually um, would not have been able to pay for it. Mm -hmm. So the, the way it works is you use the card at, at the doctor's office, for example, mm -hmm. and you can only use the cards at a doctor's office. So yeah. you can't uh, pay in a bar, yeah. uh, <laughs> which, is a, which is a frequent question that we get. Okay. Um, 
So you use the card at the doctor's office uh, and then it works similar to an expense management uh, yeah. tool like Expensify or Yokoi, uh, all of these tools. So uh, you, you use the card, you take a picture of the, we sent you an, a notification in the app right away, yeah. you take a picture of the invoice and then um, it's up to the insurer to the insurer to do the assessment of the claim. Oh, but the claim is paid uh, right away and the, the funds come from the insurance company. Based on the yeah. assessment of the insurer, if, if they uh, come to a conclusion that uh, you, you, you received treatment that they will not reimburse, then we will collect the money from you and, oh, and give see. to the insurance company. So okay. by doing that, we just flipped the claims process, yeah. making it much more uh, patient-centric patient, uh, and, and we improved the user experience there yeah. tremendously. But also it allows us to give the like data in a structured way to the insurance company, which helps the insurance company on the other side to do the claims assessment because it's digitized data, it's yeah. uh, basically the claims handling costs um, come down and also the uh, basically the fraudulent claims. There will be less fraudulent claims because each claim mm. that you make uh, or that you send to the insurance company also needs to be reflected in our payment um, infrastructure. See. So there are a, a lot of benefits for the insurance company as well. I see. I mean, I'm just thinking, are they going to go for this? Because um, I feel like they will lose a lot of money if they have to pay out claims. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, obviously they should, but like, I feel like their whole business model is around um, not paying that out. Yeah, I, um, I think this is the perception. Yeah. Um, but in in reality mm. they need to to pay the claims um that are covered in the yeah. policy and yeah. uh, for some claims that are not covered by the policy mm. they are just not allowed to pay them out yeah so i think we don't um we do make it easier mm. to to claim and uh, basically to receive money back yeah. but this is also a trend that we see in the insurance company companies uh, because they realize they need to become more user-centric and some of the the insurers that we are talking to, they want to use this for mm -hmm. um, basically when, when selling um, policies to, to large corporations and they use this as a benefit, as a, as a USP of their policies that they say, look, we also provide you with those cards and this has a value um, in itself and so the insurance companies, they are actively um, pushing this to, to their clients even. Interesting. Um, and I think we, we briefly discussed this beforehand, but you're currently in Europe and you're looking at other markets as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess one question that was on my mind is like, how do you um, make this um, something that's adopted in Europe because at the moment um, insurance seems like a very nice to have rather than need to have um, in Europe. I mm. mean, you're not going to be turned away um, if you're dying. It's not like, you know, certain healthcare systems. No, in, in Europe, it's true. In most of the countries, it's uh, private health is an add-on mm -hmm. um, that 
that you purchase on top of, of your public coverage. But I think with everything that's going on right now, so, mm -hmm. so the, the public healthcare system is struggling because of the aging yeah. population, the rising costs, the, the surge in chronic conditions. Yeah. And I, I fundamentally believe that the, the level of care uh, will go down over the next couple of years. And we can see this already, for example, in the, in the UK. Mm. And to fill this gap, private insurers will needs to step in and will step in. So I think we are, we are seeing a shift right now from uh, like people only being covered in the, in the public sector to a more, to a model where people also um, look and, and buy private health insurance. And I think from, and, and our part in this game is to make sure that it's, uh, that mm. the system becomes more efficient, more user centric, so that more people can afford and get access to, to those insurance policies and care in the end. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because um, my observation is that in Europe, um, insurance is almost like a B2B2C product, right? Where um, you buy it for your employees and then, you know, I have insurance because my company covers mm. me rather than um, I cover myself, which yeah. is the model um, that you typically see in Asia or US. Yeah. So and but our system works for in, in mm -hmm. for both buyer segments. So for yeah. individuals on the one hand side, but also for for corporates. And uh, this is in in Europe. Um, we 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 see a lot of um, uh, uh, pull from the market, but also like from other regions. We are in discussions with uh, companies in 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 the Gulf region, in Asia, in yeah. the U.S. Um, because they are all. Um, they all have similar problems, in in a sense. Yeah, and so so um, wh when did you start this? The so this High the, the, the company we yeah. started in twenty nineteen. And and we we yeah. focused on on Germany, uh, very much on the reimbursement of of medical claims, and now we expanded the platform so to yeah. really have this this payment. Um, platform integrated into the existing claims platform. So you started in 2019, just you and Frederick and mm -hmm. advisors. And um, how how big is your team now? Like um, wh what stage have you got into? So we're now 17. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was uh, basically we, we mm -hmm. constantly evolved over the years. I yeah. think we, we had a very um, like the the way to do it, we, we started, uh, Frederick and myself had a, did then a pre-seed round um, early on so that we could bring some more mm. people in. We, we were five people in the first, I think, year and a half. Uh, then we did our, um, we did a seed round um, after that. And now we, mm. we grow the team uh, constantly, yes. And you mentioned, um, you know, this concept of turning your advisors into sparring partners. Is that something similar that you've implemented into your team as well of just being able to kind of have that back and forth? And um, how did you establish that culture of people being able to actually, um, you know, say that you're wrong about stuff? <laughs> I think the... Um culture will adapt on on mm. how you as a founder behave and mm -hmm. this is one thing that I 
underestimated in the beginning uh, that I as a founder or we as a founder mm. are so crucial in creating the culture and, and setting the stage uh, because people look at you in, in the end. And mm -hmm. uh, with uh, like to your question on, uh, on, on the culture of like admitting to, to, to make um, a mistake, yeah. uh, I am you need to be transparent as well. I mean, I'm um, always admitting when I yeah. was wrong and, and uh, this is not a bad thing. It's just mm -hmm. you need to like, realize and uh, draw your conclusions and learnings and then move on and improve. Yeah. Um, it's very simple. But by doing so and, and by creating this uh, psychological safe space, I would almost say um, it's, it's perfectly fine if people are, um, if, if they make mistakes, uh, the important thing is that we learn and move on. And um, when you were looking at building out this team mm -hmm. and um, building out essentially your organizational structure, what were some things that, um, that you liked from, you know, bureaucratic life um, and that you maybe had to make different because of the set and setting? Of being a startup, yeah. So the what what we tried in the beginning mm. is to to have very um, very loose um, organizational mm. uh, structure, but we we realized um, quite quickly that it it makes perfect sense to basically have this org chart and be very. Mm. Um, uh, basically very clear on okay who who is yeah. how, how are the teams set up who is working with whom mm -hmm. uh, basically what's what's this this type of structure because also this gives um, uh, uh, yeah people can rely on that and yeah. and it, it, it provides clarity and this I think is a very important part that uh, you need to make sure as a founder that there is um, that the rules are clear, that there is clarity in the organization. Mm -hmm. Also, everyone needs to understand what is the vision, what are we trying to achieve um, and, and set the stage in that sense. Interesting. And would you say that's the number one thing that you would recommend people to do? And if not, what is the number one thing you would recommend to CEOs um, or founders um, I think the most important thing, yeah. and I underestimated this, and, and I still do, is communication, communication, mm. communication. Uh, you need to be to enroll the entire team. You need mm -hmm. to enroll your investors, your advisors. You need to to make sure that that everyone understands the, the yeah. vision of the company and where you want to go with the company. Um, and you mm. cannot, uh, you cannot over communicate. Yeah. Um, so what, what do you think is the number one thing not to do? Like, mm. and, and feel free to, you know, explain via maybe something that's happened. Uh, if there's like <laughs> a story behind it. Yeah. I think the, the one thing that you should not do is, um, scale too fast mm -hmm. because you you believe 
that you are at the stage where you can initiate mm. the the growth phase. Yeah. Um, and because this will lead to you burn a lot of money and mm. maybe you have a lucky punch and, and everything works out perfectly fine. Uh, but chances are quite high uh, that you are not there and you just basically uh, hired uh, a bunch of people that, um, yeah, and, and that the growth does not come. Um, and, and I think this is one of the mistakes um, many people do. Mm. I did as well. Um, so take on essentially too much burn before the growth can really sustain yes. it. Yes. And this is this is a super difficult um, yeah. uh, task. And, and I think it's a, there is a, a struggle imminent to it because on, on the one hand side, you, you need to develop product faster. You need to go to the market yeah. faster. But still, you always need to be conscious. Okay, do mm. I really want to increase my burn? Because like uh, every month that you have with a lower burn helps you in the yeah. long run uh, tremendously and and i think that was a uh, a tough learning for me and um i i advise everyone to to stay lean as long as possible yeah i think people get really drawn into building a company right yeah um as a new race and then and then it's it's like the obvious next step is like let's go and hire a bunch of people, um, but that's maybe not the right thing to do. No, but but it's it's very hard because you 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 believe mm. um, yeah. so much in in the company and in in the vision and that this is the right mm. thing to do and you just need to move faster. Um, so so for me this take a step back. Um, yeah make sure that um, you are not overestimating uh, basically your uh, success or growth in, in, in the early phase is, is very important, I think. And I wonder if that is also something that um, was a big shocker for you moving into being in a startup, because I'm guessing that res resources were less limited <laughs> at McKinsey and then you came to high health and I guess um, the the constraints are different, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. At, at McKinsey, the one thing that you don't have is time, basically. So this is why you can mm. then, uh, why they, they help you with a lot of um, uh, basically benefits. So you, people take care of booking your travels, um, mm. you, uh, you have people who who improve uh, the quality of your slides, who can proofread things. So, because also you you need to operate at this high level of excellence. But then in a startup, you you don't have all of that. Um, but you have more time in that yeah. sense, um, and that's quite a, a difference. Yeah. But that's the thing, right? Because when you're looking at okay, how do I grow the company and how do I do anything? And you're talking to someone who's worked at a very big company mm -hmm. is the natural response not to just be like, okay, like let's hire someone to do that. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. I think this is, and this would be very convenient. And, mm. and I think um, if you uh, people then like if your teams hire people too, too soon because they want to outsource certain yeah. topics, uh, but again, to my to my previous point, don't do that. 
because you will have too much costs on um, uh, on your balance and uh, it, then you need to either most likely raise um, sooner and that's not uh, an easy thing to do. Yeah, and, and how have you managed um, the kind of expectations with the team um, when you're going out and fundraising? I think the so we we try to be very transparent mm -hmm. in in the company so everyone knows where we are what are we yeah. at what timelines and milestones are we looking what are the milestones we need to achieve to uh, basically raise the next round um, and they also know roughly on uh, basically what what's the uh, what's the structure of the next round yeah and. So, so we try to be very transparent with with the team because yeah. uh, I, I think it's also Im important for them. Um, and it turned out to to work quite well, yeah. uh, to be honest. Um, and and I think it also gives them a lot of um, confidence in in what we do and yeah. uh, that it's not a, a black box. Uh, to them I think that's here's uh, why I asked the question because I think that transparency and radical candor they work when things are going well and <laughs> fundraising is one of those situations where it's not to say it's going well or not well but it is a lot of you know us being founders having to um hear a lot of no's right mm -hmm. like i i have a friend who did 200 meetings just mm -hmm. to get one yes mm -hmm. um and that's not an uncommon story right oh. so um how do you communicate but then also not communicate all of the basically shit that hits you because no one else can really um deal with it and if you really tell people like in your team about like half of the shit that happens to you, they'll probably run away, right? This is true, and I think this is. Mm. Um, so I don't share all the the no's that yeah. I get on um, when yeah. when fundraising because that's it's it's super draining. Mm. But I think I also think that um, they realize this otherwise because like it's um, and I think this is like mm. founder health. You you get so many no's. It's it's so it's it's a very mm. draining process as well. Yeah. Uh, I feel um, because you believe so Strong. strongly yeah. in, in what you are building and uh, then receiving no's for various reasons. It's uh, yeah, it's a tough time, and I think people realize that this is a tough time and. For in in our company, whenever we do fundraising, mm. um, I try to be very, I mean, open about the process that we are fundraising. Uh, open about the fact that there mm -hmm. are many many no's uh, to get to one yes, yeah. uh, and and that this is the this is just the way it is, and also try to explain to the team why why this is the case because each fund has a has a certain yeah. thesis so. Sometimes you get the no, not because you have a, uh, a poor business, but because just the thesis right of the fund is not right. Yeah. And and they might not be able to help you, which is a good no in, mm. in a sense. Um, so there, I, I think there are a lot of nuances and I try to share those nuances. And I also 
try to be transparent on on how I feel, um, but not sharing too much. So I think there is uh, because it would also not make sense or bring any value to the team if uh, I share all the yeah. negative emotions from fundraising. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I feel like it's good as well to be the emotional filter for like protector almost yeah. to the team where they don't have to see all of the bad. Um, I mean, it seems like you've done pretty well with high health on this. Um, and I wonder in terms of, you know, high health and what you're building in insurance, how you see um, insurance changing in the next 10 years. Yeah. So I think the, as mentioned before, I think that private health insurance will mm -hmm. become more and more important. And I think they are on a uh, transition mm. uh, similar to what banks uh, yeah. have done like 10 to 15 years ago. Um, so insurance companies are uh, very much looking into uh, becoming more user-centered, yeah. uh, also more efficient in, in their internal processes. Uh, so I think there's a lot of positive change ongoing. But on, on the other hand, and this is now my uh, what I learned at McKinsey or what I saw when mm. being at McKinsey, I mean, insurance companies, they are large organizations mm. and you can't change those large organizations. It's like this big tanker on, on the sea and you can't change um, yeah. the, the direction that quickly because also in, in, in those companies, you need to enroll a lot of people. There are like concerns, mm. people need to change, they need to adapt new ways of working. Yeah. So, so there is a huge challenge for insurance companies. Uh, but I think they are on it and, and uh, there is a lot of movement, I think. And what is the one impact you want to leave on the world with high health? The, the impact that I want to leave is building on what I've said before, that private insurance will become more important over time, that we make the private health insurance more efficient mm -hmm. uh, and uh, provide a better user experience so that uh, people can afford uh, and get access to healthcare mm. no matter where they are and who they are.